yeah, you can have a process for things, and you should when we have so many family members involved. But you also want to have the freedom to be able to to answer the call when you feel the Lord is calling. As a family, we're all in on this together. Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas. We have our co-host with us, Jeff Rutt, today. Say hello, Jeff. Hey, y'all. <laughs> and we have a very special guest with us today, Jeremy Donick from Minnesota. You're going to hear the accent. Special treat for you. He is a third-generation family member in the Donick Companies, a multi-generational family of companies in construction and plastics manufacturing. Jeremy's got a very unique business title that not many companies have. That's just a teaser, folks. You got to listen to hear the whole thing. Uh, But Jeremy, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Okay. So we always try to start, as you know, Jeremy, with just kind of where you grew up, what your family was like, that sort of thing. Yeah. Grew up in Princeburg, uh, Minnesota, small town in West Central Minnesota, and uh, have four siblings. I am number four of five. Grew up in a Christian home, and uh, parents raised me with solid Christian values, rooted deep in our community, too, a nice little small Dutch community that uh, is really nice and neat. And uh, actually, all sets of both sets of grandparents also lived in that same small town. So my relationship with my grandparents was what I found out later from friends is unusual because I saw them almost every day or I saw them a lot. And uh, but that really established some strong roots for me just in family closeness, a lot of cousins around, a lot of family members and uh, a great community to grow up in. Love it. Sounds pretty ideal. Where'd you go off to uh, college? Well, I uh, graduated from the small private Christian school in Prinsburg and went to Bethel College, uh, now known as Bethel University, I guess, in St. Paul. Studied there business uh, management and finance and uh, spent four years there. Uh, Played a little hockey. I'm not a great college hockey player, but I did play college hockey because they didn't cut anybody from the team. And so uh, I have some good good connections still back to the school. When I graduated and through my college years and even my elementary and or my uh, my high school years, I uh, did a lot of summer jobs working road construction, which is the root of our family business. Uh, my grandfather started with his brothers back in 1926. And uh, so I did a lot of road construction, hardworking summers, built some strong work ethic in me. Did that all the way even in the summers of college. And then when I graduated, uh, I'm a little bit on the younger side of my generation of family members. So there were a lot of my cousins that were already in positions in various spots. And the and I was kind of trying to find my way. Where, you know, where do I fit in here? And I did some road construction, like I said, in Minnesota. We also build golf courses all across the country. And so I did a couple golf courses in college and right after college. Uh, we have a division in Texas uh, for road construction. So I moved down there for a year. And through all that, I was kind of trying to find my way. Where do I fit in? And it's at that time, I went to work at our family business called Prinsco, 
which is plastic pipe manufacturing. And I was the first family member to do that, to move over away from construction and into plastics. And uh, soon after that, a cousin joined me there. And I spent really my career at Prinsco, so 25 years, really growing the business, 15x, 20x, something like wow. that. It was really fun. It felt like I wasn't working and uh, for most of that, but a lot of growth. Uh, acquisition and greenfield startups uh, in the in the upper Midwest and in the West Coast as well with that. So was given a lot of leeway, a lot of opportunity from family from from the second generation as well as the third to really pursue and put capital to work in growing this business, Prinsco. And it was really fun. It was a lot of fun, and it's still a company I really admire and and really appreciate what they do. And in, in between that all, I was meeting my wife and getting married and raising kids. We have uh, five of our own, uh, four daughters and a son. And uh, so that was all happening from 2001 to 2020, roughly. Prince go really growing and, and starting a family of my own. And I really actually don't know how I got through all of that. <laughs> Well, I'm going to kind of get out of the way here a little bit. We've got uh, two multi-generational uh, business people here. I'm, uh, I'm sort of Gen 1 on this thing, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let uh, the guy who's got uh, uh, a little older Gen 2 involved ask some questions. Jeff, uh, take it away. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, Jeremy, tell us more about the, what it was like. You mentioned uh, you were one of the younger cousins in a uh, family business uh, t tell us more what that was like, uh, kind of breaking in. Well, I don't know. I would, I don't think I would describe it as much breaking in, but you know, the uniqueness of this small town I mentioned we grew up in and we were kind of all there. Mm -hmm. My older, older cousin in our generation being about six years older and another about six years younger than me. So I was, I'd say I'm close to the middle. Most of us spent a lot of time together as kids. And I just sometimes say, I think that's interesting because we built some foundational relationships and that's vitally important. And also just being rooted in, in a faith uh, environment um, has served us well as adults. I'll, I will say that. And I just think that's by God's design. That's the way that came about, but it was very valuable. So there's six second generation owners, four of them still alive, but in their seventies and eighties today. And they were the ones really leading the company at that time. And so for us, we didn't have a really formal way. In fact, my moving around was more by my doing, just saying, I think I'm going to go over here and try this. And we didn't have a program. We didn't have a lot of structure. Mm. Worked hard, did excellent work. I'd say these are foundational truths, you know, in a time where they didn't identify necessarily company values. I'd say integrity, like do, we did the right thing. We did it with excellence and we worked hard. I would say those are foundational truths that that have continued on to our generation. And so, you know, it wasn't by mistake, but it wasn't by also a, a real clear plan of how I fell into the role that I did. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things, you, you mentioned foundational truths a couple of times. Is that something you as a family have memorialized uh, or a as a family or a company have talked about? Well, not, I was talking more in generalities around that, but yes, I would say those are foundational truths. We memorialize them in our, on, in our core values. 
Okay. And, and each company operating really independently. So in our construction and materials sector is what we would call it. Um, we have heavy highway construction business that includes aggregates and materials and uh, concrete ready mix business and then golf course business. And they have their own structures of leadership and core values. And those are more like foundational principles when I look at the first and second generation of what did I see that I learned, those would be true. And they do show up as we formalize that or memorialize that in the businesses. Uh, in fact, like Prinsco's values are integrity, do what's right, relationships, people matter, hard work, exceed expectations, and humility, humble confidence. So that's the way now in today's language, today's business world, we say we memorialize them through this is the way we behave around here. This is the DNA of the company. That's really, that's really good. So uh, back up to Jeremy, talk a little bit about what either formally or informally, what were, what were some of the expectations uh, from you as you entered the business? Is there any kind of expectation to go work somewhere else for, for a while? Can you report to another family member? Are there, are there any kind of, um, kind of guidelines in place or, or expected? Yeah, great question. That's the type of work as third generation we've worked on a lot more for the fourth. And I'm not saying that's because it's good for them. It's partially because it might have been missing for us. Mm -hmm. the, the last end of our, of our third generation members did go work somewhere else and then came back. And we kind of have said we expect that from any fourth generation coming in. We've had that happen with a couple already go out not only for the betterment of you and your experience, but you can obviously learn some things that you can bring back to us as well. Mm -hmm. And we just think it's healthy. So that's mm -hmm. what we do. And then, you know, we haven't gotten to the place of no family reporting to family. We understand how that does make sense. We use a little bit of a description of this will be family owned, board governed, and professionally managed. That's awesome. And that's, that's yeah. a little bit newer language, but that professionally managed, that can or cannot be, that may or may not be family members. So, right. yeah, you know, we have ended up as these businesses have kind of grown up, we started with them smaller. A little bit of my own journey is like, Prinsco really grew from maybe 60 employees to about 450 when I, when I moved on to my, the role I'm in now. And it's like, there gets to be this point where like, if I haven't had some good experience and training and, and things in a larger business, maybe there is someone better to do that mm -hmm. and being willing to, to recognize that too. So those are just things we're still struggling with today, not struggling in a bad way, but just saying these are important. We don't have it totally figured out. We yeah. are developing, we have a fourth generation that's in a learning cohort together okay. now that's, uh, it's a 28 month process. We started in 2023. So this is your, this is the very first time, but they're learning about the business and they're learning to build relationships with each other. And it's the family member and their spouse if they're married. And they're Jeremy, 16, is that something you would be willing to share uh, if we could put that in the show notes? Yeah, I think uh, some general structure for what that looks like. Yeah. I think we yeah, could. Whatever yeah. you're whatever you're willing to share. And can I go back and repeat what I think what, what you said was family owned, board governed, professionally managed. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, if Jeff, let's get that in the, in the show notes as well. That's, that's, that's powerful. It's a great way to lead a company and 450 employees. 
Well, that's Prinsco. So okay. across, across our whole uh, portfolio of businesses is what we would call it. We have a construction and material sector and we have water management sector. And we have about a thousand to twelve hundred employees when you get to uh like peak seasonal type of work okay so and over the last couple of years there were two businesses that we uh ended up selling it just okay they weren't performing very well but also it wasn't in a uh what we were describing as kind of a core or what we're really good at and we mm -hmm. felt like somebody else could probably do better than that and we'd never done that before like we'd never sold a business we've been growing them and yeah. so that was tricky dealing with the people side of it, but also knowing that we took that capital and reinvested it in our businesses we already already own, were operating. And so it was just a chance for us really to say, how are we stewarding this? How are we yeah. managing what's been put in our hands to manage as a family business portfolio of businesses? So Jeremy, uh, Walk me back to a little bit of the kind of the founder's intent, and then how is that some of the core values that you talked about, how they've been, you know, carried forward, and how do you see, including, you know, we're, we're on the Generous Business Owners podcast here, including the, the, you know, the kind of the value of generosity. Uh, but walk, take us from the beginning, just like a, a quick history to current day, and then how do you see that being carried forward? Uh, into the future. Yeah, I think the things that rang really true for my grandfather, his name was Henry. Uh, my son's name is Henry as well. And we want to hear uh, about your son. It, tell us about yeah. your son. We're going to come back to that. Okay. My grandfather, Henry, and his brothers, Wilbur and Amos, just saw an opportunity to do construction work. And it started really with a team of horses. Wow. Um, at That's the very awesome. beginning, and you think about starting a company in 1926, like, <laughs> you know, what's ahead of you over the next 10 to 15 years is not mm -hmm. looking that great. But it, so I just say it was hard work. They worked really hard and did things right from the standpoint of their relationships. You know, most of it was state or government funded projects in Minnesota and probably the Dakotas too, a little bit. And, um, it wasn't just meet the standard of the design. It was make sure we do a really good job. Wow. And there were years of real trial stories that I've heard. I wasn't alive yet, but, you know, they move an asphalt plant into northern Minnesota and the job goes so poorly, they actually can't even afford to move it back home. So they have to and do some inventive things such as cutting a school bus up as a flatbed to get stuff hauled home. And so I just, I sit there and I can't imagine we've never been, I don't think through those kind of trials as in my lifetime, but, um, the hard work doing what's right, you know, how you treat people, being honest and how you mm -hmm. um, deal with situations and then really caring for people like both first and second generation. Like we have multi-generational families that have worked for us too, like probably going on four generations in some cases that have been in road construction with us. So there's, there's a relational personal relationship dynamics, um, that have extended through all those generations as well, but starting with the first and second. Mm -hmm. And although the first was the, were the founders, the second were very entrepreneurial. Like we started getting into, they tried a lot of different things 
the things that kind of stuck for a while are wild rice business, which we have recently sold, but wild rice specialty grains, uh, RV camping resort business, which we recently sold as well. Just tried and did a variety of things. So very creative and smart. Uh, I would say second generation as they were very entrepreneurial. For sure, not everything worked. But uh, again, That's hard, hardworking and treating people right is is really core to it. Yeah. That sounds very entrepreneurial to me, from street building to wild rice. Yeah, uh, sounds, sounds like uh, lots of creativity and entrepreneur. Uh, so, so let's talk about you know you've heard it talked about where the passions of the first generation become the preferences of the second generation become irrelevant to the third generation. How did your family, starting with Henry, uh, keep that those passions strong? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if it's ever been framed or asked that way, but, um, you know, there definitely is a passion for construction. Still to this day, even though I would say most of my career has not been in construction, every once in a while I get to hop on a piece of equipment or, you know, as a kid I was in gravel pits testing gravel and working with operators and every once in a while getting on one of those great big TD25 dozers. It's just fun. You know, it's, it, I would say it's in our blood and part of I would say my story is making a change to plastics manufacturing was almost something I didn't really feel like doing because I grew up in a construction family. I mean, that's what we did and that's what we love. And so there still is a love of, I would say, land and outdoors. We're kind of all hunters, mm -hmm. um, like being outside, like making something, creating yeah. something, you know, like uh, working with the land, in this case, most of the time building roads and yeah. port, but uh that's probably something that's a little bit in our DNA of, of working in that sort of way. And going back to, I think our, our Dutch heritage in, uh, mm -hmm. in the Netherlands. And we, we kind of smirk about this, but water management, you know, it, <laughs> we weren't the ones that came up with that. I think yeah. uh, that was in our ancestors way before Prinsco ever became a thing. So. Which, which ties into the plastic pipe, right? Yes. How did you, yeah. how did you get into plastic pipe? Well, that was a second generation thing. So that business started in 1975. So that's not as old, mm -hmm. um, but started making concrete tile. So just one foot sections used for ag drainage. Yep. If you're in the Midwest, you're probably familiar yep. with that. And the water would get in by seeping through the joints, Yep. which it seems kind of crazy to me now. Well, they started in that and within six years. So you think of a new startup company in six years, plastic was being introduced. So we got our first plastic line and another four years later, we were all plastic. So you think of starting a company in one product and with less than 10 years, you're making a different product. Wow. Yeah. That, that's pretty entrepreneurial, I think, to be able to change that fast. And then, you know, that was, that business was really struggling in the, in the eighties, the late eighties, uh, early nineties. Mm. and uh, has ended up being one that's really expanded and and really across the country now. Just a great product line, great people. It's a really, really good company. It's been a really, really good one for our family. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so tell us about Henry. Yeah, our son Henry, uh, he, he surprised us his, the day he was born. Came a little bit early, but we weren't expecting it. We hadn't gotten tested or anything, but Henry has Down syndrome. And so, you know, at the beginning, it's, what do I do? I really don't know anybody. I'm not close to anybody uh, with, with Down syndrome. And as a new parent, you're really like, well, what's, what's next? 
what, you know, what do I do? And I can remember in the first uh, few weeks where I go for a run, just relieving some stress. I'm not really much of a runner. I don't like doing it very much, but I remember my mind just racing about like, what do I have to do next? This is a new world. My wife is very intentional and really, uh, uh, was doing research and like, we want to give him every chance to succeed. So your mind is racing about all these things to do. And I just really clearly heard the Lord say, be still, mm. like be still. And that was a, a moment for me to just like, it was followed up with, do you trust me? Mm. And that was a real lesson for me to just say, you know, he's 10 today, but at that time, like he's not even one. Enjoy him as a one-year-old or you'll miss it. Enjoy him as a five-year-old. In fact, I don't know what 20-year-old is going to be like, 20-year-old Henry, but right now I'm just going to enjoy 10-year-old. And that's how I can trust the Lord, but still be very intentional about his growth and development. I had an uncle and aunt that have passed away, but they sat down with us. It was probably in his first few months of uh, after his birth. And they just said, we want to commit something to you that we'll do there. And then neither of them are alive anymore, but they just said, we're going to pray for Henry's full development at every stage of life. Mm. And they committed to doing that. It actually became my prayer too. Now, like I've pretty much adopted that as let's, what does full development in every stage of life look like for him? And, uh, he's been, <laughs> he's pretty incredible. I'd say like the secret sauce in our family, so to speak, uh, wow. got, got all I these sisters, it. got all these sisters that just love them. And, uh, and, and we're learning things along the way where we're connected with an organization called Jack's baskets. And, uh, it's to really help celebrate babies born with down syndrome and also just be a resource to the medical community. The medical community doesn't know how to deliver that news very well. They've never been trained. That's not something they talk about in med school. You know, they handle all the things that they need to learn there. So I have a lot of grace towards that because it's like, they just don't know what they don't know. But when a parent first hears, here's your child, I'm sorry, they have Down syndrome and walk away. Like, that's not the way to celebrate a baby. And so Jack's basket really gets at that message. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's been great for us. Our family was featured in a video recently with that. And it, it's been really fun just to see the impact uh, Henry has in, in, in fact, ways that we can help others see it you know, really our life isn't much different. Yeah. Wow. That would be great. Uh, if you're comfortable to, uh, put a link to that in the, in the show notes as well. Yeah. Uh, I want to come back to the, I want to come back to your journey, uh, where we are today, where you see, uh, yourself, your family business, uh, the, the, the whole component of generosity. I heard you say, uh, one of the values was humility. Um, talk about, Talk about that. How does that fit in sometimes, especially in the construction business and the, you talk about rock quarries and uh, putting down asphalt, you know, the whole humility thing sometimes gets uh, buried under the roadbed. For sure. <laughs> yeah, that's very good, Jeff. Yeah, it's tough. It, you're right. Like it, that can be true for any business. It can be true for a lot of family businesses. Uh, it can be very true in the construction industry. I think the thing that I've learned, 11 years ago, I um, kind of reluctantly, but I did take this course on servant leadership, uh, delivered locally by a guy, Triune Leadership Services. So it did have a, a faith component to it, but uh, leading like Jesus, 
And I would just say I didn't know what I didn't know about that. And it really awakened the servant leadership heart in me mm. that I wouldn't say I was the opposite. I was just saying I wasn't fully. I'm still not fully. Like I'm learning every year. But um, that's an important component for me in the work I did at Prinsco, really kind of shifting from being an operations plant manufacturing guy, which I still like the technicality side of it, but really thinking about people, the people aspect, like we can't run our businesses without people, without teams and teams functioning together. And so that was probably where the first switch started for me of like, my job really isn't necessarily running a business. It's connecting with people and it's leading people. And, and so that was very impactful for me. And then in, in 2018, I went through the master's program, Bob Shank, and uh, he had, he's still has a big impact in my life today. And that was where I really would say uh, Prinsco had grown up a lot. If I did anything right, I hired good people. And you have that moment where you're looking around and saying, I don't know if I'm really needed here anymore. Mm-hmm. I, and you can say that without feeling like uncomfortable about it. Mm-hmm. And it helped, it was helpful. I was taking the master's program at the same time. And there's this one presentation or section where they talk about these typical life cycles of things. And one was called the doldrums. And I remember reading all that and seeing it on the screen and listening, going, I'm in the doldrums. And it was partially because of that whole thing. I could honestly say, you know, I think I'm ready for something else because Prinsco is ready. They don't need me here anymore, but also like, I don't know that I want to, I don't think I'm best used to just run a business an operating business. What might I be able to do to have impact on people and help all our leadership teams have an impact on people. And so the family and the board were gracious enough, I would say to just work process through that. We didn't do it quickly. It was maybe over a two year span of transitioning to this role of chief culture officer in our family business. In fact, now two years into that, I just really finished up what my job description looks like. <laughs> so it's been definitely an evolution and it's a lot of learning. I realized they probably weren't looking for a chief culture officer. <laughs> I happened to get that job. And also just knowing I needed to, I needed to make a change and I did have the, I realized this, I had the safety net of the family business, but I don't want it to be just that. I like, I want to make an impact. I want to make an impact in the lives here. You know, anybody that comes to work for any one of our companies within our portfolio, uh, I want to have an impact that comes again with my purpose. So my purpose, uh, as I work through both servant leadership training and master's program is to pursue Jesus Christ with my time, talent, and treasure and to connect others to a greater purpose. And so that really helped people to see a new way to lead servant leadership to really see all of their life as something of that could make an impact in this world through generosity and so and then creating this culture by design this is my language yeah. rather than by default so we had you know you just you asked a lot of questions about first to second to third generation and some foundational truths to be there and i would just call that we have a pretty good culture by default what would it look like if we actually did it by design? So that's part of what I'm working on today of what are the key components of a culture that we want to have? And we start training people into that and, and having them engage. And so 
that gets me excited. I think that's much more the way the Lord wired me to operate. And, uh, I'm looking forward to, and then engaging the next generation, fourth generation. There's a few family members already working in the business. There's a whole lot more still in, in college and in their careers and in high school that are coming. And we just want to do the best we can to prepare them for what it is, you know, that we have here. And, um, if they have an opportunity to be an owner or participant or manager, whatever it might be, uh, that we're preparing them. And then also my job is to help engage in our giving that we do. So, um, this is another thing I think from first generation and second, really establishing, we want to give back Mm -hmm. financially give back. And so, I date this all the way back to the 60s is where that really first started. That was before I was born. And it's definitely evolved over time. It's something I work on. I I would say I'm the giving coordinator. It's not really a role, but I just help do that on an annual basis. And it started really the first evidence I could see, I can see of it second generation saying, we want to get the printed word of God around the world. So if there's any kind of like, focus that was it at the time and uh and so we've been building on that supporting organizations a lot of them come in through relationships that have been built over time but then when i came along i built a lot more structure to it so how we do it how do we focus on just a core few and still have some freedom to support others at a lesser level and now we're in the middle of okay we've been doing this as a group of owners second and third generation together we're going to actually shift this over and engage the family in this. This is going to be family involved in how we're doing all this. The business enterprise will uh, generate the resources to be able to give away, but we're going to have the family involved. So we're right in the middle of doing that all right now too. That's, that's another part of what I do, not necessarily as chief culture officer, but as a family member in the, in the process. Wow. Yeah. I was just reminded last night of a Churchill quote that, he talked about um, we make um, a living by what we get and a life by what we give, something like that. And uh, it, it was uh, that's powerful, and it sounds like you're really doubling down on that on that focus. Uh, I love your your quote, uh, "Culture by design," and it sounds like you already had a really strong culture, and it's going to get even stronger and even more refined in in your generosity. As we round third base here in, in the on the call, what other thoughts, uh, principles, stories um, would you like to share before we close down here? Well, one just one in particular kind of re- relates back to my son Henry, and uh, and this has been just an own, my own little personal thing that's kind of fun. Is uh, I started a hobby of making maple syrup back when uh, I guess the uh, COVID started. So I had a friend that just had some tin cans and I thought I'd give it a shot and had some luck with it and a lot of fun. Well, I just thought, yeah, it is still just a hobby, but I made a label for it and now I've started to use it as gifts. Well, I use it for gifts in business, but I use it as gifts for auctions because my goal is every year I set a goal. I'd like to try and raise X amount of dollars at fundraising auctions if they know the story. If they don't know the story, then it's just another bottle of maple syrup, maybe, although it's pure. It's really, really good, in my opinion. But uh, it's a fun little tag onto a hobby that 
Yeah, that, you know, try and try and have some fun and have some fun with my son doing it as well. That's that's awesome. What's your label? Henry's. Awesome. Henry's. Here we go. Yeah, look, look at that. Yeah, so not very a- many hobbies have hats and t-shirts, but mine do. <laughs> we got to get a copy of that in the uh, show notes. I love it. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. I love uh, it. I think I think another uh, another interesting thing about our giving to get all family voice and participation, it's very tricky, and sometimes that holds people back from just doing something. Mm-hmm. My encouragement would be to just try something, be open, and and engage as many. I think one of the jobs I've I've tried to do, hopefully I've done well, is keep people engaged in it and know that you know what we're doing what we're able to accomplish through our support is making a difference all around the world. And so we do build process and structure to it. But then also we've had some instances where we wanted to respond to something that happened. So I have two examples. We, uh, uh, when COVID hit, we were hearing from some of the organizations we support that, you know, the, they aren't even able, they aren't able to complete the mission now, but not only on top of that, like in India in particular, people are starving. Like our mission has been like, people aren't going to live. What can we do? So we did some very intentional things around organizations we either were already supporting or we did some research on to say, how can we help solve the food problem in our own little way? But how can we help solve that? Through other mission-minded organizations, we're very careful about that. Like we really want there to be some gospel faith-based focus within it. We don't just support the environment, although we love the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, save the whales. Oh, I love whales. That's not what we support. Yeah. And then another was actually at at a time I was doing a Bible study and we were reading uh, James 1, 26 and 27, and it talks about caring for orphans and widows. And so I had that study in the morning at night. I'm watching the news of the Ukraine war breaking out. And they talk about there's going to be so many orphans and widows. And I'm almost like, you know, <laughs> Lord, like we yeah. got to do something here, at least with what we know we can do. So, I mean, we took quick action with, again, some mission organizations we already support and said, what can we do to impact Ukraine? One, for example, was the Jesus Film Project. That's a, a, an organization that's near and dear to me. And they said, hey, we're ready to go. We're looking for 25 backpacks that they can show at refugee camps to show the Jesus film to 500 people. We said, do it. We want to do it. We'll support it. We'll pay for those. And I heard no less than seven days later, they were being used wow. to share the gospel and then care for the orphans and widows who are coming into those, those areas. So that's, that's really encouraging to me to be able to say, yeah, you can have a process for things, and you should when we have so many family members involved. But you also want to have the freedom to be able to to answer the call when you feel the Lord is calling. Yeah, praise God for your quick receptivity uh, and your you being in touch with the Holy Spirit's speaking through you studying His Word and then being ready to jump in. God doesn't waste a crisis, and... He's using you and what's in your hands to, to impact lives. Yeah, it's our, it, you know, it's our whole family and it's, you know, everybody's engaged. Everybody knows what's going on with these gifts and follow-ups and things like that. And so I think that's really vital for us is, you know, we're, as a family, we're all in on this together. 
I think I think that's the if I can just jump in as as we kind of wrap it up. I think the, the thing I've been taking all kinds of notes, and uh, the last thing I, I wrote down was just kind of things we talked about before we started recording, which is you know generosity comes in all forms into different constituents, and I think you've got a really big family, you've got this business that kind of ties people together. You're tight knit to begin with, but the business makes it even more intense. Those relationships, yeah. do you spend so much time together? And I mean, how many stories do we hear? I mean, it's, it's something like 90% of these family businesses do not make it to the third generation, let alone the fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Worse. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, uh it's really special, uh, what, what God built in your family and the fact that you sort of reside in that, uh, the chief culture officer is not a mistake. Uh, that's, uh, symptomatic of the kind of a business that's been built that you're trying to continue to be generous to the family continue to be generous to the employees by building even a better culture and better place to work. And then from the fruits of the business, uh, your community, whatever that leads to. And so, you know, we got a lot of people that are going to connect with different parts of your story uh, or maybe all of them. So thanks a lot for sharing that. And we would just always wrap up with just a practical tip. I mean, you've given us a lots of them. You can just pluck one out or if a new one comes to mind, share it with us, but maybe somebody a little behind you on the on the journey, maybe even in a multi-generational business that's struggling a little bit, what, what would be some encouragement or just a practical tip you might leave with them? Yeah, I think sometimes we hold back uh, from trying something until we have everything figured out. And sometimes you just aren't going to ever get there. I think maybe the entrepreneurial spirit allows you to, you know, you don't want to go too fast, too far ahead and mess things up, but like, don't let that hold you back from from starting, I would say in particular is like, you know, especially to the faith-based organizations is like, really, ultimately, why do you exist? We would say all we have is a gift of God and we foster the advancement of his resources entrusted to our care for his glory. The reason I can say that is that's one of our values and that's the way we define it. And then there's just such joy in participating. In fact, there's a, a verse that's meant a lot to me over the years and I learned it in the NIV. And I say that because it uses the word participate. Second Peter 1, 3 through 8 really kind of talks about this. But in there it says, we get to participate with him. And I think as a business owner, there's sometimes it's like, I own this all. This is mine. I got this. I worked hard for it. I built it. And not forgetting that, like, nah, ultimately I can't take it with me. And it, was it by my hand or by his hand? And sure, I worked hard. Others have worked hard. Employees have worked hard, but it belongs to him, and so I'm going to hold it a little more loosely. And I'm going to do. I'm going to have some fun doing some stuff with this. Yeah, you know, making a difference for him. So be a steward, but get after yeah. it. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, and, don't get uh, too worried about doing the wrong thing. Right, right. Yeah. Well, Jeff Rudd, any any closing remarks from you? It's just been extremely impressive, Jeremy. I just love the uh, intentionality of your values, of your humility, of your entrepreneurial spirit, and the way you're just looking to, to use what God put in your hands to, to honor him. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a fun ride so far and uh, more to come. Well, Jeremy, thanks for being with us uh, and sharing your story today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate what you're doing. Jeff Rutt, thank you also. Thank you. Yep. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on this week's Generous Business Owner podcast. Uh, please check out our new website, generousbusinessowner.com, and leave us your rating and reviews and sign up for our newsletter. And 
Share this episode with a friend if you enjoyed it. Uh, We'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.